And welcome back to the Transient Bacon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Today, we have a special guest. You're probably familiar with the name Zamzos. Uh, founded in 1933 in Boise, uh, Zamzos, Zamzos now has 13 locations in the Treasure Valley, and we're lucky to have Joss, who is the co-CEO with us today. Joss, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Well, the topic on everyone's mind, as I'm sure you know, uh, Friday, the Idaho Department of Water Resources issued an emergency drought declaration for Ada and Canyon County. Um, So what can the community members do to keep their lawns healthy and conserve water at the same time? Well, you know, the beauty is we've been trying to help people understand how to properly water for a few years. Uh, there does not need to be a compromise between beautiful lawns and, and, uh, and being water wise. The reality is that if people will just follow a, a few key tips, they can have a beautiful lawn uh, and not waste water. So, so it's just the, the drought has got everybody motivated to, uh, to be adjusting how they do it. So, so it's a pretty, great time to be doing it. So part of the re-education, so to speak, what what are the biggest misconceptions that people have about what uh, their watering needs are for their lawn? Okay, so the very first one is that lawns do not want to be watered all the time. They don't like it. uh, And every time I teach a class, somebody will come up to me and say, well, I wish my husband would have been here because he just doesn't believe me. Uh, and, you know, I grew up on the bench in Boise and we had flood irrigation and we got water on Tuesday and uh, we didn't have another. There were six other families on the ditch, so you couldn't water more than one day a week if you wanted to. And, and we had beautiful Zamzo family quality lawns watering one day per week. But the, the key thing is we're trying to replicate that. We want deep watering and not all the time. Mm-hmm. So the majority of our listeners are probably going to be using some type of uh, irrigation system that uses like your, um, forgive me if I misspeak, but like a rotary head pop-up. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes those ones that make like a ratcheting sound. Yep. Um, yep. How do they, how do you know whether you're watering deeply? How do you know what's enough? Well, what I, what I encourage people to do this time of year is we're trying to build your lawn's drought muscle is kind of the name I, I, I came up with, for lack of a better, a better way to describe it. And, and just the same as you build muscles in the gym by stressing them, we're going to build our lawn's ability to handle this deep and infrequent water by drought stressing it a little bit. And what that means is letting it get thirsty before you water. And, um, and that's a foreign concept because people worry about their lawns dying and whatever, but lawns are incredibly resilient to drought stress. What they will do is they actually will turn kind of a slaty blue color. And, and you can tell that they're thirsty when you see that kind of wilted slaty blue color. It is not brown. Brown doesn't happen for a month of not having enough water or from a disease or a bug problem. And, and so um, what we do this time of year, what we're encouraging people to do is not turn on your automatic system, simply put it on manual and water your lawn and then turn it back off again. 
turn the automatic sprinkler back off and wait for the grass to look thirsty before you water again. And, and when, when you do that, the, the grass will naturally, its roots will go down looking for water. Mm-hmm. And, and our clay soils, the one thing they do do, they, they don't penetrate very well, but once the water does get down there, it holds it really well. So, so when the roots go down to find the water, then they will, they will access that, that, that clay. And actually, the roots of the grass actually help to break the clay. And then in future waterings, the water will follow the roots down through the fissures in the clay. And over time, they'll help break the clay. A, uh, a lawn that's been properly trained and kind of drought hardened, how, how deep do those roots generally go if you were to take a shovel and dig up? Uh, um, you, you, in, in Idaho, you're talking about three to six generally. Um, and, and a lot of it depends on the soil profile and, and again, how you've been watering and that type of thing. But, but this needs to be a process because if they've been improperly watering, let's just say that they've been watering every single day, which is not uncommon at all. I talk to people all the time that are watering every single day. The message the grass gets is the water is all at the surface. So there is no need for those roots to go down. They literally stay shallow because that's where all the water is. And, and so they'll find that their lawn gets drought stressed very quickly because they, the roots don't have access to any subsoil moisture. So, so that's why now is the critical time to be doing this drought stress because we're going to ease the, the roots down and kind of build that drought muscle before it gets to be 100. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've seen people do things like put a, a tuna can out or some type of mm-hmm. um, device to kind of figure out how many inches of water you're putting down. For that weekly deep water, do you have any guidelines on how many inches should be? Right. So we've, we've uh, the, the, the rule of thumb for Idaho turf grass is one inch of water per week in as few watering days as you can get away with, mm-hmm. you know, understanding that you're trying to drought stress the lawn. So, so if you were able to, you know, put down an inch of water on Wednesday and then not water again for a week until the grass got thirsty, that would be perfect. If your grass gets thirsty, and, and, uh, and you have to water again, you know, so you end up watering like Monday and Thursday, uh, then, then, uh, as long as we're, we're, if we're only doing it two days, then, then we're doing what we're trying to do. Um, what I encourage people to do. And, and last year, uh, I, I, I'm in Nampa, I'm on pressurized irrigation. I watered one time in the entire month of April. Um, and, and I watered, three times in May, uh, through the entire month, three days I watered. Um, and then we got to June and it turned off to be a hundred. And so my sprinkler was going off on Monday and it was going off on Thursday. There were some times in June and July when I would come home on Wednesday and my grass would be very thirsty. You could tell it was very drought stressed and, and we don't want once it starts to get really hot, we don't want to do that as a, you know, constantly, uh, periodically is okay. But I would come home and just put the sprinkler on for like 10 minutes on Wednesday night, 
just to knock that drought stress down a little bit, knowing that it was going to water deep on Thursday morning. So, so I, and then I, but I would just do it as a manual ad. I wouldn't just automatically set the sprinkler to add a third day, if that makes sense. It does. Um, so you're, you're really looking for the grass to tell you, uh, when to water, like you, you mentioned earlier, and it does kind of have a, a blue tint to it and it doesn't matter what right. type of, uh, sod or lawn you have. It, no. All of them will give that kind of blue indicator. Yeah. And whenever I teach people that, then they, they go out and then they see it and they're like, aha, now I know what he's talking about. I can totally tell it does look kind of blue when wow. it's thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can just see it, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and then now once you have trained your uh, lawn to be more route, uh, drought resistant, I imagine that that is for the life of the lawn, right? Those roots are now down yeah. that six inches. So next year, potentially, would it be easier to transition or you're just kind of... Exactly. Yeah. 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 It'll be even easier. The clay will be even more broken up and uh, and, and the lawn will be, you know, hardier. I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is one of those things that a little bit of effort pays off and, and things just get better and better. Um, I love that you've taken the time to really understand the, the problem and present a, a, a smart solution. Why, why do you think we got so far off track in the first place? Well, you know, the, the pressurized irrigation, uh, people misunderstand what, what they're doing. They, I, I think people believe that you know i'm paying for a certain amount of water and by god i'm going to use it you know if i i pay you know it, at my house it's you know 140 dollars a year uh is, is what i pay and i and it's unlimited theoretically and and people think they've bought a certain volume of water and they're trying to maximize the return on investment really but the the reality is is what what, what people are paying for is access to the water, it's an access fee. It isn't a, a volume fee, and uh, and so people have a tendency because we all are frugal. We're trying to maximize our value, like an all-you-can-eat buffet. <laughs> and and the and the reality is that that by overwatering, they're actually hurting themselves. And and when I first started this three years ago, I I created a, a, a kit that allows people to 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 actually determine how many inches of water. I was doing it at that point because overwatering causes fungus problems in lawns. And and when I first started at Zamzos in, in the mid-90s, right after college, we had one bag of lawn fungicide at the store I was at and and we never sold it mm -hmm. because lawn fungus was unheard of and now we will sell pallets and pallets a week of lawn disease control and it's it's literally people causing their own problems and and so I uh, this crusade for me was about reducing fungicide by just getting people to water properly it wasn't about you know saving the water and and um, and now it's worked out that the drought really has people conscious of it. Uh, and, and so we'll all win, you know, even in years when there's a ton of water, if we're watering properly, you know, we can knock this needless uh, fungicide application completely out. A lot to unpack there. I think it's really smart that you're, you're saying, hey, listen, we need to look at that irrigation as a sunk cost. I understand everybody right. wants to get the value, but that's just kind of a cost of maybe living in, in Idaho. 
and mm-hmm. readjusting there. I think that's important. Um, and then I also like that, you know, hey, uh, really, if we're on the program of, of con- uh, conserving water, there's so many other things that are going to go right, like relieving that uh, that potential to get the, uh, the fungus. Um, right. Now, you know, I think people might be a little bit uh, they understand the the lawn aspect and and watering when the lawn needs it, but are are they okay doing that with say maybe like their their shrubs and their trees? Um, yeah, most most trees and shrubs, and I'm not talking about the one that you literally are going to plant this weekend. Right. And the same thing with sod. You know, you if you have brand new seed, brand new sod, or a tree that you just planted. That's not what we're talking about here. You still have to to kind of nurse those things along. And 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 so I'm not saying that that you drought stress a, a sod sodded lawn that's just barely got laid down. But but trees and shrubs that are established, if they're watered one time per week, they're perfectly happy. And uh, and we see a lot of problems with root rot and that type of stuff with improperly watered uh, 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 trees and shrubs. And the other advantage that trees and shrubs have is they usually have some kind of mulch on the surface of the ground that helps shade the root system and, and, uh, and gives them even more leeway. So, so most trees and shrubs would be good with one watering per week. So people don't really need to concern themselves saying, well, I need to go after a, spur- a certain drought-resistant tree or shrub. It's more back to the the first point where we need to control the watering and how much goes in and, and, and the frequency. Right. And, and I'll tell you this, that the hardest part about, you know, xeriscaping, I, people all the time are saying to me, why, you know, why aren't we uh, doing more xeriscaping and, and other things like that? And, and the reality is I'm a huge fan uh, of of water conscious trees and shrubs. The the issue is that you can't just put one in a flower bed full of other stuff. <laughs> Cuz yeah. y- y- if you if you you can't just say I'm not going to water this one rabbit brush uh, or or I've got a few Idaho natives in and amongst my Japanese lace leaf maple, <laughs> you know, the, 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 if you water one thing in your flower bed, most of the time you're watering everything in your flower bed. And if you overwater plants that are for xeriscaping, they die. So, so you either have to totally renovate your flower bed and redo your sprinkler system so that it's xeriscape or, uh, you know, water properly and leave the stuff that's in there. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the water properly sounds like less work to me. <laughs> right? It's ultimately, it's ultimately far better. And, and, you know, here's the other thing that as I've sat in on the drought, uh, uh, meetings in, in the drought task force, I'm a part of in Nampa. And, and I met with Suez, uh, the Boise water company, uh, a couple of weeks ago. The reality is our, ecosystem here with our we have a very um healthy water aquifer and some other things like that if people stopped watering their lawns ultimately we would have aquifer problems (laughs) because this ecosystem needs water to be applied whether it be through farm ground or through lawns and it trickles back through and it recharges our aquifer so a you know this is it's different in Phoenix or in Las Vegas or other places, but in this valley, we need that water to trickle through people's lawns and down into the aquifer to recharge. So what we really ultimately want all of us is just responsible water use, not 
drastically reduce it. Yeah, that's another excellent point. And um, not to name drop, but uh, David uh, Hokima with the uh, Idaho yeah. Department of Water Resources, he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said exactly yeah. the same thing that you just mentioned. Um, so, so you know, when people are coming in to the Treasure Valley and maybe they're uh, purchasing a uh, a newer home, uh, that's, there's a lot of them being built around here, they don't need to then worry to your point earlier about what type of sod just like they don't need to worry about what type of um uh, bushes or trees right as long as the watering is correct right we're just not gonna we don't want to waste water Uh, we we have a a beautifully designed irrigation system with a, a lot of storage and um and 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 capacity uh, so, so that the, uh, this system really does work really well, um, and and the people that are coming here are not using more water than the farms were using. That's another um, good point. You know, that's a, that's another misconception is that neighborhoods now, yep. if you take just the turf area, in somebody that's improperly watering, yeah, they're using more water than a farmer would use. But when you look at a development that was farm ground and now has streets and actually has buildings with roofs and flower beds that aren't turf. And, you know, you, you actually have less irrigated land when a neighborhood goes in. So it ends up being a wash versus farm ground. So, so we're, we're not having people move here does not drain our, our water resources. It actually uses about the same if they're watering properly it would use less yeah so we've got our water dialed in on our yard um what about mowing there's so many different questions there as far as well uh if you keep it at a three inch uh, better water retention better health of the lawn does that play any role well for the sake of finishing the first discussion yeah we're doing an inch of water per week clear up until you know, the first week of June, the second week of June, when it starts to get hot, we're doing two inches of water per week, up to, up to two inches of water per week. So, so that, I think that's important for people to note because, uh, and then when it's 110 with a 10 knot breeze and 8% humidity, all bets are off. (laughs) You might need two and a half inches, uh, you know, to keep your grass wet, but that only happens for, you know, that's only just really for three weeks, usually. Last year, it was for a lot longer than that. But but uh, really what we're talking about is you might add one extra watering day two or three times during the summer, uh, you, you know, w- when it's really, really hot. But for the rest of the year, we're two inches of water per week and, and uh, for the hot part. And then maybe also if you're in tune with your grass and you started earlier, you can kind of watch for signs of distress easier too. Yep. At that yep. point, add a little water if you need to. And then the lawn, the, the the lawn mowing piece of it that you brought up is this is the easiest thing that people can do. Um, they've got to go to the highest setting on their lawnmower and drop it one notch, or maybe two, depending on the style of mower. But uh, but but I have not seen any mowers that, that need to be uh, more than two notches down from the top. And, and what that will allow us to do, that, that leaves a longer blade on the grass that shades the ground, that, uh, that uh, 
prevents excess evaporation so that cools the ground and and it also helps keep that plant intact every time you chop that leaf it it there's evaporation happening and so leaving a longer blade shades the ground and reduces the water loss and, and they also got to sharpen the blade uh, it, they got to sharpen the blade of their mower two times per year, usually once at the beginning uh, and then once about the first of July. And a sharp blade makes a nice clean cut. The grass will be greener and it uses less water and they're simple. It's just good. It's just good practice anyway. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and then also, uh, while we're on the topic of mowing, what are your thoughts uh, bagging versus mulching? Because that's well, another argument. If, if they are mowing regularly and, and that people, you just have to understand that, that, uh, for a period of time, starting about right now, you have to mow your lawn every five days. If you want to do it right every five days. Now we have cool season grasses that don't like it when it's hot and they will slow down and you can go back to mowing about once a week when it's hot. But, but for, for from about now until about the first week or two of June, you, you really have to mow every five days with a mulching mower so that you're not, you know, uh, cutting too much. The mulching mowers can handle a huge, thick amount, assuming the grass is dry. You know, you're, you're mowing dry grass and you're mowing it um, every five days and the mulching mowers work great. You don't even need to bag because you don't see anything there. If they go to McCall for a long weekend or for 10 days before they mow, then they've got to put the bag on because there's no way the, the mulching mower can handle that much uh, to cut, if that makes sense. It does. And, and from what I'm understanding, uh, it's all about consistency and, and utilizing that mulching mower. So you're just putting a, a little bit of easily digestible, so to speak, pieces down into your yard. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, we have issues with um, all types of, uh, well, at least in my experience, I think I got, and correct me if I get this wrong, uh, cl clinch bugs. Yes, chinch bug. Yeah. Um, what are the most common uh, issue, lawn issues that you see here in the Treasure Valley? Well, we we see uh, chinch bug, we see bluegrass bill bug, and we see uh, a disease called ascochyta leaf blight. And there there are a couple of other diseases, but uh, the the I think we just did a radio show. Uh, that was recorded that we'll play soon where we were just talking about how if someone sees a dead spot in their lawn, they've got to d diagnose what's going on. Don't just put water on as a solution. And I think that's that's just everybody's solution is I've got a brown spot. I'm going to turn the water up. And the, the hardest part is if you have a bug problem or a, or a disease problem, just turning the water up for 10 days to see if that solves the problem will make that other issue worse. Um, and it makes it harder to control. It requires more pesticides to get under control. And, and, uh, and so we're, we're really pushing if, you know, people can take a sample, they can dig a square of turf and put it in a shoe box or something like that, about a one foot square where the green grass meets the dead grass and if they dig with the roots intact and bring that in, 
we can look at that issue, help them figure out exactly what's going on, and they can go home and plop that plug right back in the hole, and it won't even turn brown at the edges. It will just continue growing, uh, and, and we'll know exactly what it is so that we don't just waste water for 10 days and make the problem worse. We can diagnose it right immediately. And, and once people understand this, this the drought stress blue look, you'll know when you see a brown spot, it's, it's almost never water. I mean, it, it, it takes uh, six weeks of no water to turn brown. So, so it's, it, it, you know, diagnosing, self-diagnosing and treating it with extra water just almost never solves the problem and it wastes water. Um, I want to see what your thoughts are on um, weed control. And I know that there's um, a big uh, emphasis right now on making sure that things are uh, pet friendly and environmentally mm-hmm. friendly. Um and then there are others who are like, you know, a couple of weeds in your yard, not that big of a deal. Maybe just right. Kinda, right? So um, where, where do you kind of come down on that? And can you give homeowners a, a good guideline of maybe um, maybe some type of middle ground where we're not putting well, all kinds of runoff into our waterways? Yeah. My, my dad always says if you have tomato plants growing in your lawn and you don't want them there, they're weeds. <laughs> Right. Right. So 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 it's it is about perspective for for probably 20 years. We put clover in our lawn mix, uh, you know, on purpose because people wanted it there. You know, it's green. It doesn't use a lot of water. It's low growing. The bees like it. I mean, it's it's only just uh, over the last 20 years that that's become a villain plant that everybody wants to kill. So so as far as weed control, uh, if people are watering, like I'm suggesting, they're going to drastically reduce the weeds in their yard. I mean, setting the blade up uh, and, and watering properly. If you think about weed seeds, if they land on a, on a, a spot of ground and, and get watered, let's say on Monday and germinate, and then the ground dries completely out, the surface of the ground dries completely out for four or five days, those little weed seeds that germinate die. And the grass is perfectly happy because its roots are down there three inches. And so just watering properly will help reduce weeds. Setting their mower up, up where the grass uh, is taller, it will be more dominant and it steals the sunshine so those weeds don't get an, uh, established. So, so mowing properly helps reduce weeds. Um, and then, you know, feeding your lawn, keeping your lawn uh, uh, well-fed is, is really the ultimate because grass is a dominant plant. It, it, it pushes other stuff out. And then if you have a few weeds after you've done all those things, then just spot treat, stay away from weed and feed where you're putting down weed killer on every square inch of your lawn, whether there's a weed there or not. Uh, that's what we want to get away from it, You know, everybody might have a, a, a spray bottle of weed killer that, you know, they might go out and just shoot one or two weeds in the lawn uh, every couple of weeks that that's okay i think uh for weed control and and certainly if you're doing these other things that's really all you'd need to do yeah uh, I, I love that you're pre- uh, presenting such historical context in that for a while clover was in in the mix and i've even right. heard that chamomile 
uh, used to be because, you know, it's very, yeah. if you, you see, if you're familiar with chamomile, it's very, uh, yep. silky and, um, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's only until very recently that, uh, when the uh, herbicides came through and, and they killed other things, they killed the clover and, and that's right. now considered a weed. So. Right. And then I, and I think we're not, I'm not going to fight, you know, there's a lot of HOAs that specifically list clover and, oh, yeah. and I'm not going to, there's some fights that are worth fighting. Uh, I, I just know that anytime I ever talk to anybody at a store and they say, you know, I've got a lot of clover. The first question I ask is, and do you want to get rid of it or are you good with it? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. usually they look at me like, what do you mean? Uh, uh, because when I tell them, you know, the bees love it and, and it doesn't use more water and it's green and it's actually nitrogen fixing. So it actually fertilizes your grass. And, uh, you know, you start to talk and people are like, you know what, I guess I don't care if there's a little clover back there. I kind of like it. And I certainly like the bees and, you know, so <laughs> it's definitely one that people's attitudes will change, I think, over time. Yeah, it's great to get this information out, too. Do you have a few uh, uh, have a few listener questions? Um, if sure. We, OK. Uh, first one's from Cheryl M. Uh, she says, can you recommend any uh, soil amendment uh, for trees uh, for clay soil? Well, we we built a, a product. That, that when I first started, my dad called Save a Tree, and we now call it Thrive, but, uh, but it is made specifically for our soil. And, and it's, you know, we, this is the battle that we fight in our yards and our gardens is, you know, drive between here and Mountain Home and look out the window and, and that's what wants to be here. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and, and everything else we're trying to force into this environment and, and it needs a little help. And that's what Thrive was, was designed for. You know, I, I don't even know if Thrive would work in Boston, uh, but, but I don't care because we're not selling it there. Right. Right? So, so it's made for trees and shrubs in our soil. And, and that's really the ultimate solution. Thank you. Uh, the next question we have is from Gary Bonner. Um, he's asking, is tall grass more susceptible to insect problems? And I think we kind of almost already touched on that. Um, but go ahead. Yeah, it's less. It's yeah. less. And when I say tall, I mean, it, it, what I'm referring to is it cut properly tall, not way long and laying over on itself. Right. Uh, you know, I, I but I, I taller grass is hardier and hardier grass has less insect and disease. And, you know, the joke always is how hardy does my lawn have to be to not have any chinch bug? And, and, you know, the honest answer is it just needs to be slightly hardier than your neighbor's lawn. <laughs> because, you know, the, it's the same as the wildebeest in the Sahara. You know, I mean, they, they're looking for the weakest right. wildebeest to pull down. They don't pull down the, the two-year-old bull that, you know, actually has more meat on it that's right. too hard. Yeah. They pull down the weak one that was just born. And it's the same thing with, with chinch bug or, or bill bug. Your lawn just needs to be slightly hardier than the weakest lawn in the area uh, to to avoid those things. Um, what are your thoughts on aeration? I know it's kind of off script, but I was just kind of curious to what your thoughts were since we've got you. I, I love aeration if people come back and fill those holes with compost. And, you know, the hardest part about that is people don't, have a, a grasp of what 
we're talking about in volume. I mean, you're not going to have an average lawn aerated and then go get a bag or two of compost <laughs> and fill those holes. I mean, you're really talking about uh, you're filling your pickup bed with compost. And, and our stores, we have a, a deal called the compost roller that, that uh, it kind of looks like a, a bingo a wheel that they get the balls out of, you know, that wire cage. Uh, and, and so it has a door on it and a handle and, and you scoop this uh, uh, compost into the cage and then you roll it around on your lawn and, and it puts compost all in and it fills those, the little plugs they pull out, it fills those up with compost. And if you do that, you're making major strides in amending your soil. If you're just going through and pulling the plugs you know, it's it, whatever you're doing is just temporary and and um, and it's expensive and the lawn looks ugly for a while. And you got those looks like dog poop all over your lawn <laughs> for a while. Right. And 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 it, it doesn't have the effect that you want unless you're if you're coming back with compost, you can make a huge difference in your lawn. It's just a lot more work than people understand. Yeah. So if you're going to do it, do it right and see it through essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, our last question comes from uh, Corey. He says, uh, does Zemzows carry any locally sourced products made in Idaho? Yeah. You know, the funny part about Zamzows, a lot of people don't understand. Um, we, we have an entire line of products that are made just for here and they're made here. Um, I mean, we, we make them, you know, our, our lawn food is made in Idaho. Uh, uh, our, our uh, you know, the Thrive product, our chicken soup product, our tomato boom product. I mean, I can go on and on and on. We have this entire line of products that you, that are just made for Idaho in Idaho that that uh, that people will love. I mean, they're they're the the hardest part about all those things is they're not anything they've they've heard of because you know I'm not putting ads on the Super Bowl, but uh, but 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 if they come in and and uh, and let us show you know Pepper Popper is another one that uh, and our and our uh, uh, Thrive Bloom, I mean we we've got a whole line of products that are just completely local, and and uh, and made for here. It's excellent. Um, Joss, thank you so much for coming on the program, um, and, uh, appreciate your time and and helping us get the word out about how homeowners can, you know, maintain a beautiful lawn and also conserve our precious resources. So thank you. Oh man, I'm so happy that you're doing this. This is really good. I hope people, uh, I hope people tune in because this, this can really help a lot of people.